I want you to take a moment to close your eyes and reach backwards in time. Think back to a story from your childhood, one that you remember hearing from your grandpa or from your mom growing up, a story that for some reason you still think of from time to time, despite the years that weigh it down. Ask yourself why. Why do you find yourself coming back to it every once in a while? Why does it still linger in your mind? For me, it's the Kannada folk song I would wait for my dad to tell me every night, despite having heard it dozens of times before. It's the story of a cow named Bunyakoti, who believes that truth is God. I can still remember closing my eyes as my dad set the scene. Dharani mandala madhya dholage Mereyutiha karnata desha dholiruva kaalinga nemba gollana Pariyanan intu pelvenu After singing the first verse, he would translate for me, In the center of the world, there is a land known as Karnataka. As the scene unfolds, I see Kalinga, the cow herder, under the mango tree with his flute, calling his cows by name to come back home. Gange bare, gauri bare, tunga badre, tai bare, punyakoti ninu bare, yendu gullanukaredano. No one really knows the quote-unquote original story. Everyone has their own originals at this point, the story having been passed down from generation to generation for hundreds of years. My version was told to me by my dad, who learned it in turn from his own father while growing up in Karnataka. Starting with Punyakoti, my dad shared more of these stories with me that he'd collected over the course of his life and we learned to communicate through our shared passion for words and art. This past summer, I wanted to go to India on a journey through generations with my dad to learn more about the history of these stories which brought us together. We all have those stories we remember, but why do they still matter? And how have our lives been shaped by them? Bunyakoti's story taught me the importance of personal integrity and being honest with myself even if no one was watching. But the folk song represents more than just a moral. It brings back fond memories of my family lying together on a mattress on the floor. All four of us would cuddle up, hanging on to my dad's every word. As a kid growing up in the middle of nowhere Wyoming, the whole world was told to me in stories. India is home to hundreds, if not thousands, of languages, each with their own oral tradition. So in order to understand these stories of the past, I wanted to travel specifically to a town called Trishur, located in the South Indian state of Kerala. Trishur is the culture capital of Kerala, and has a rich history of folklore, folk poems, songs, and art. Even the dialect of Malayalam spoken in Trishur has a noticeable, melodious rhythm to it. And it also just so happens to be the setting for my family's own origin story. Getting off the plane in Kerala, the warm air flooded my lungs, and I felt at home in a way that I can't quite explain. As we reached our final destination, we were greeted by an unexpected source. The sound of the cicadas grounded me. Their lulling started soft, just a whisper. 
but they grew louder and louder, and suddenly it was a symphony of cicadas hidden in plain sight. Their music itself is an oral tradition that was heard by countless before my time, and it will continue to entrance those after me. I wanted to learn of the other stories of this region, so my journey started with meeting Demish Gutem, a traditional folk singer who has been helping to keep the stories of this region alive. Just as a note, many of the interviews I did were originally in Malayalam, so for those you'll be hearing a translated version read in English. I learned these songs from my grandmother and the other elders in our family because I heard them singing these songs when I was growing up. I had asked him to sing one of the songs that he would typically hear from his grandmother during his childhood. As I heard him sing and the words started to make sense, I realized it was a different version of a song that many of you would probably recognize. The song translates essentially to rain, please go away. Only when you leave can we go down to the pond so we can catch a fish, fry it, and eat it. The English nursery rhyme we learned as preschoolers obviously went a bit differently, but it came as a surprise to me that preschoolers here in Trishur have likely been singing the same folk song for generations through the rainy seasons. The summer monsoon rains here are indescribable, and the sound of them thundering down is a song in and of itself. Remesh discussed how many of the songs we hear today were actually preceded by versions which were passed down orally. As soon as he started singing, my dad looked up at me and our eyes met, twinkling with recognition. I remember hearing a variation of the same lullaby, perhaps a more unique version, that my mom sang to me growing up. It suddenly took me back to her rocking me in her lap, trying to put me to sleep. In this place thousands of miles away from where I grew up, I felt my heartstrings tug at my home, and I realized that's the power of stories. I couldn't help but wonder why oral tradition in particular, out of all the ways of storytelling, was so ubiquitous. How were Rain Rain Go Away and this local lullaby able to span the distance of time and space to travel all the way to me. I reckoned the best way to figure it out was to go back to the roots, to learn its history. In Kerala, the written tradition only has a history of existing for 600 to 700 years. But oral tradition goes so far back that the origin is unknown. This is Ranjit. He's a professor of folklore studies here in Trishur. Each place in town have their own folk songs, folk stories, myths, and other types of narratives such as jokes and anecdotes. However, when we investigate the history of a particular oral song, we see that each one has many different versions. As an example of how impactful oral tradition is in creativity of these different versions, each place has its own Kerala origin myth. There are versions that are told orally, and there are written versions as well. In Kerala, from Thiruvanandapuram to Kasargod, 
Each place has its own version of the same folk song. But they don't just change from place to place. Oral storytelling's ephemeral nature and temporality allows stories to grow, evolve, and adapt over time as well. World tradition, by its very nature, changes as it passes from one generation to the next. These changes occur based on the newer generation's ideas, tastes, as well as their unique socio-political climate. These generational changes in oral tradition started becoming less frequent as print media saw more widespread use in the 1870s. Oral stories are often looked down on for not having the polish and consistency that written ones do, but who's to say that's not beautiful in and of itself? Only in oral tradition could one hear the same story told by a hundred people and hear it a hundred different ways, a multiplicity that's unique to the medium. It demands active engagement from the storyteller and from the people listening, because with folk stories, the artist isn't just a special kind of person, but rather every person is a special kind of artist. When I eventually learned the Kannada words for punyakoti, I soon became a storyteller too. Sharing my own version of it with my friends allowed me to partake in the oral tradition of the poem's journey through generations. Um, elder generation, younger generation. Oral tradition was always able to exist because of the communication between younger and older generations. However, because of the decrease in intergenerational communication, the older folks are no longer able to pass down their knowledge, poems, or songs to the newer generations. Oral tradition is how we understand cultures, community, our values and morals, and how we pass on the knowledge over generations. These stories are the thread that links us to everything. It reminds us that we're a part of a bigger system, and they're how we make sense of the world. So what happens when they start disappearing? In this transition from oral tradition to print, we've lost three main things. The first is the fluidity or the ability to cater to different perspectives. The second is how oral tradition changes over time. Even with this interview, I've had to translate it from the original Malayalam to English. And with that standardization, the diversity of interpretations has been lost. And the third are the women's perspectives. Originally, much of the oral tradition was created and passed down by women. However, since the switch to print media, men have been the dominant voice. There are feminist organizations currently trying to collect women's oral knowledge. However, it's a difficult task to complete. This break in oral tradition would cause so much of our collective human history and culture to be lost. In order to understand what's making it difficult for older generations to pass down these traditions in this day and age, I met with Vinod Nambiar. He leads an organization called Vaili, which has been working to address these issues in their own community. First of all, there is a gap and there's no platform for the younger generations to understand the kind of culture and tradition. Or, for example, like lack of performances, performing spaces, lack of festivals, lack of opportunity to understand the culture and tradition, lack of interaction between the old people and the new generation. We had such kind of systems in the past. 
like temple festivals your rituals happen to your family or community but in the new system like the youth or the new generation getting shifted to cities or better employment or better opportunities they are shifting from village to cities so that is where the community started having problems like there are not enough people to perform it so the rituals festivals are getting slowly slowly vanished hearing vinod discuss this generational gap made me think more about the distance i had with my own roots i was lucky enough for my dad to pass on his favorite folk songs and stories to me but another important part of oral tradition is the personal knowledge and history of our lives which are passed down too whenever we tell a story we are being vulnerable and showing a part of ourselves that was a side of my dad i never really knew but when i had a few free days in between collecting interviews we spontaneously decided to take the overnight train to manipal his hometown Manipal is a bustling college town in some ways similar to the place I grew up. Although it isn't too far away in distance from Thrissur, it was a completely different environment. We stayed with my dad's side of the family who I didn't know as well. But during those days in Manipal, I saw my dad from a whole new perspective. He was a son and a brother. and in his dynamic with his siblings i saw the same bickering my brother and i would have on family car rides arguing over who got to be on ox we rode the same bus he used to take to the beach with the windows always down they would blast oldie hit songs from malayalam to hindi which funnily enough were the same ones that also played on the same family car rides before my brother and i were even old enough to fight over the music I got to see the field where my dad got the scar on his eyebrow from playing cricket with his rowdy childhood friends. We took a picture at the very spot my parents met for the first time. There was so much of the past I never really knew about, and it made me realize that just like our DNA, our family's histories and stories deeply influence who we are as people. Coming back to Thrissur after our excursion to Manipal had me completely rethinking the role this important tradition of oral storytelling has in our lives. The people we grow into and the ways in which we view the world are shaped by the treasure trove of stories, parables, and knowledge passed down to us by the elders in our lives, and it's all through the practice of oral tradition. I started wanting to learn more about not just the stories, but the practices and knowledge that have been orally passed down as well. Artisans, for example, weavers, have their own songs that they sing while doing their craft. However, many of these have died out because their handmade crafts have been replaced with machine-made ones. Specifically, I went to meet some of the countless artisans, from shadow puppets to potters, that live along the banks of an important river running through Kerala, called the River Nila. Vinod, who leads the Vaili organization, told me the story of a bell metal artisan named Shivanarayanan Musari, who I also got the chance to meet later on during my trip. At that time, Narayanan was facing the difficult decision of either continuing his job as the last bell metal artisan in the town and struggling to make ends meet to support his family, 
or switching to a construction job. His father taught him that bellmetro work and rest of his brothers all left the job because they were not able to find the, the meal from that actually. So they left it and only he is a guy because he was so particular that you know his father told him that you, know, you should continue my profession. This is our tradition. So he was not in a position to leave it because the father asked him to continue it and he was you know, not able to balance it. Narayanan's practice is similar to the situation with Pulavan Gopalan, who is involved in a folk music practice which worships serpents and uses traditional handmade instruments. This is part of the instrument that I use to strum, and it's made out of tamarind wood. It has been in our family for the past 300 years, passed down from my grandfather to my father to now me. I started learning how to sing and play the instrument when I was 11 years old. We think our music will probably only last for 10 or so more years because no one seems to have taken an interest in it. Gopalan's whole family is involved in the practice, and we watched their performance as each member of the family is added to the music. My son is in eighth grade and has been learning the music from when he was even younger. He watched and heard us play so much that he's been able to learn how to sing as well as play the instruments. My daughter is older and she also knows how to sing. But when she gets a job and moves on, only if she really cares about the art and the practice of it will she continue it onwards. All we can do is teach them and hope they choose to carry it on. The gravity of these families fighting to keep these practices alive, compounded with my father and his own history, weighed on me even more. My dad's father had passed down his love of stories to my dad, who in turn did the same for me. But what if that never happened? What if the threat of these changing times prevented me from learning about this integral part of my life? There are many beautiful songs that our elders know, but nobody has any regard for them anymore. After years pass by, their memories will fade, and those songs will be lost forever. During my trip, I encountered a mooper, who is a kind of tribal leader, and he was kind enough to share some of the different songs he knew. He sung a traditional song, one a mother might sing to their child. At one point, though, the reality of losing these stories really set in as he was trying to recall how one of the other songs went. <clears throat> As I was reckoning with these complex ideas surrounding family history and tradition, I learned more from Vinod on how organizations like Vaili are working to create spaces and platforms for intergenerational communication. Knowing our tradition is actually knowing our own roots. It's very important to see the tangible and intangible elements of your culture. So bridging that with the youth is actually the crucial point. A wily kind of institution can bridge the gap, creating a platform wherein 
the new generation can come and explore and understand and learn it actually whether to practice it or to follow it or learn it or improvise it that is up to them but at least creating a platform to know the tradition that is very important and the second question is you know whether you pursue it or you teach to the next generation you know it's all like you know mechanisms so i don't think you know we have a solution for it although there isn't as clear cut of a solution Viley has worked with Narayanan, the bell metal artisan in their town, for the past 12 to 14 years. And since then, he's been able to find a way to balance his life between tradition, culture, and the modern world. Earlier when we went there and asked, actually, do you teach your kid about this art form? He said, no, I don't want him to follow this because I spoiled my life. And I don't want my kid to follow it. I want my kids to learn something, get some job. Now, if you go and meet him, he's, his son is like, you know, doing a master's in designing and other two kids are studying. But these two girls and one boy, they are learning his art form. Oral tradition has been dying out over the past two generations. But if we started now, we could still record and collect a lot of the knowledge being lost. However, these recorded stories alone will lack proper context. Maybe one way forward is for the younger generation to reinvent the oral tradition and keep it alive. That's a give and take. So balancing of, you know, you are not totally changing it, but you are making it adaptable to your current situation. On my journey, I also met with a family of artisans who perform shadow puppetry, or tolpavakutu. So my name is Rahul. I am I'm a traditional shadow puppeteer from Kerala. I belong to a family of artists for 12 generations who is continuing this temple traditional ritualistic art form of Tol Pavakutu in Kerala. Tol means leather, Pava is puppet, and Kutu is the play. Rahul is the youngest son of the oldest shadow puppeteer in Kerala, and the art form is traditionally only performed by men. However, their family has started to establish a platform for women to also create their own stories and perform them through the art of shadow puppetry. In the past, women were just in the background to support the men. But my sister decided to establish a platform for women to bring in our perspective into the shadow puppet plays. The idea behind the women's plays, or Pen Bhavakutu, was to say that there is no need for the women to be submissive. They have to come forward. This is how Pen Bhavakutu or women's shadow puppet shows came to be included in the traditional Tolpavakutta. The men mainly performed the epics like Ramayana and Mahabharata, but the stories of Penpavakutta are created by women about women. The men perform only epic stories like Ramayana and Mahabharata, but ours are only stories related to women. One of the stories we've created is of a girl growing up and going through childhood, adolescence, college, marriage, and the difficulties of marriage, especially dowry. The story asks women to protest against the system of dowry. We perform it in schools, colleges, and other places, mainly with the intention of bringing women forward. <laughs> She sings, this is the new face of women. This is the new face of self-respect. This is the new face of Malayalam. This is the new song. 
Although we can't keep those exact same traditions and practices, the new generation can make it their own because one of the central tenets of folklore is that it's constantly changing. When I went to Manipal and saw so much of my family, I realized that we have very different beliefs and perspectives, mostly because we grew up in completely different worlds. But we can still share and exchange stories in order to understand and empathize with each other's experiences. I want to learn the stories of my grandmother's childhood while she shows me how she harvests tubers in our front yard. And I want to learn the recipes for the food they ate so much growing up because they couldn't afford anything else. Even the curries our mothers make, the clothes I'm wearing and how they're tied, this tree next to me, it's all folklore. If I asked my children how to make samber, they wouldn't answer by saying you need a scale to measure out the ingredients. They would be with their mom in the kitchen, looking, listening, learning, and then doing it themselves. That's folklore. Even the artisans, whose craft is weaving, each thread that they intertwine is telling a story. To some, folklore is only a vestige of the past, and maybe that's true to some extent. But in my journey, I've continued to find its unrelenting pulse, a vital force that flows with the rhythm of social life and fluctuates invariably with the changing times. It's only natural that a tradition defined by its constant change is inherently indefinable. The world is becoming increasingly globalized, and we now have the incredible opportunity to hear stories from all corners of the world. Hearing the uniqueness and similarities in different storytelling traditions makes the practice of oral tradition even more exciting, and to keep it going, we must continue telling them. I still think my favorite part of Punyakoti that my dad would tell me is still that first line. In the center of the world, there is a land known as Karnataka. I used to think that the world was told to me in stories, but since going on this journey through generations, I've realized that these stories are, in fact, our worlds. Joan Didion said that we tell ourselves stories in order to live, and the ones that we gain and share from oral tradition especially help each of us learn more about the center of our own worlds. Our lives are ever-changing, and so are our stories. As I sit here reflecting on this step in my journey so far, I can't help but think about how much I've changed since experiencing it. Even as I'm telling you this story right now, who knows if next time I tell it that it'll be the same. And maybe, maybe that's the point. Thank you so much to everyone I met with in Trishur. Ramesh, Davis, Ranjit, Vinod, Rahul, Ashwati, Pulavan and family, and Sridharan sir. Thank you also to everyone who helped with reading the translations, Sahir Qureshi, Krishnan Nair, Varun Madan, and Dev Madgavkar. Thank you to Blue Dot Sessions, freesound.org, and Akash Desai for sound effects and music. And finally, thank you so, so much to Melissa Deardal, Alicia Crawford, 
Laura Joyce Davis and Dr. Manoj Kumar for their mentorship.